Rico. Crazy. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. If the message translation offends you, I'm not sorry. It's written beautifully. Um, 3.14 says this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. Title of my message this morning is Life in the Past Lane, subtitle to infinity and beyond. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the word that you've given me this morning. I know that it is a word for the people, God. I know that it is the word for your church, the people that you love, the people that you call your own. And God, it is a word that will unlock something in people's spirits. And even those that do not call you their Lord and Savior yet, it will unlock something for them too. So Lord, I pray that it will go into their spirit, that they will receive what you want to say this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Anyone seen the movie Toy Story before? Uh, The reason I say the movie, because there's only one real movie of the Toy Story. Uh, The others are fake, spin-offs. No good. No, I'm kidding. The second one was all right. It made me cry. Um, First one, great movie. Fantastic movie. Really good kids movie. Really good adult movie too, to be honest. And for the kid, you watch it. came out in 1995. I was two years old. Really good movie. I don't remember it coming out. So you feel feel old. There you go. There you go. That didn't take much. Oh, I'm so sorry, Neil. That was harsh. Toy Story, great movie. Um, It's about toys that think they're alive and they get played with. And that's all that it's about. But it's about so much more than that. It's about changing of perspective. It's about viewing life in a different way and, and, and what motivates you to live. That's what Toy Story for me was about. So that's what I believe God wants me to share this morning to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch Toy Story. No, I'm kidding. We're not, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not doing that. But what I want to do is go through certain things of the movie that stood out to me and what we can apply to our everyday life. And uh, so if you never thought you're going to learn something from Toy Story in church... Buckle your seatbelts. We're about to learn something from a kid's movie. It's so good. So I want to make sure that our, our focus, we focus on what's to come. We don't get bogged down on our past or living unintentionally. But I think what's important is that we focus on tomorrow. So that's what this message is really going to be about. We're going to be looking at our past. We're going to be looking at today. And then we're going to be looking at tomorrow, looking at the future. So let's go back to yesterday and we'll start there. So Woody was a toy that could not let go of the past. He so desperately wanted things to go back to how it was. He, he, he loved Andy. He loved playing with Andy. He loved being Andy's favorite toy. And he would do anything to get that moment back. He'd do anything to go back to the past. He missed them so much. He missed those moments so much. And like I said, he'd do anything to get those moments back. You know, there's some of us that have that woody mindset. We think of yesterday, we think of the past and we go, that was unreal. What I would do to go back to that. What I would do to have that moment again. Oh, to be a kid again. To run around, to have the freedom, to 
do whatever I want, to, to be dressed by my mom in corduroy overalls that I hate, to be having to put shoes on because it's prickles outside, you can't run around barefoot, to be restricted to all these things. We dream of being a kid again, and we're like, oh, what a great time. But the reality is, you were told to go to bed at 7.30. Oh, oh. This is the funny one. To go back to school, what a great time. I could see my friends every day. Recess and lunch, what a bliss time. It's not. You sat there for six hours every single day being told to do things that you don't want to do. And so many of it's useless information that you take in. School's important. Stay in school, kids. But it wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. There might be some anomalies in here that did, but I did not enjoy it. Sick days. Now, we can just take a sick day whenever we want. I mean, some of us have conscience, so we don't. But when you're at school, you need your mum to sign a paper that says he is, Johnny is sick today, so he's not going to be in school. Whereas we go now, I'm not coming in. And that's it. I'm not going to try it, Neil. I'm not going to try it. I have a conscience. <laughs> or to be newlywed again. Now, I've been married for four years. I've been in it for a while now. I know, the, I know, my, I know my around the situation. Right, I've, I've got this figured out. But to be like people long to be a newlywed again. Now, I'm not speaking from experience in this situation, but of what I understand, a lot of newlyweds fight a lot. They don't know, oh, I can't believe you sleep on the left side of the bed. What do you mean that you are a restless sleeper? All these kind of things. What do you mean you hang the clothes like that? That's not how you hang the clothes. People dream of going back to that, to be a newlywed again. Or to be single again. That's silly. That's about it. That's all I'm going to say to that one. It's so easy to romanticize the past. It's so easy to look back at the past and go, oh, what a wonderful time. It was so good. Oh, to be there again. It's not. The reason that we move on from the past is because we, we learn something there and we move on. It's good, it's fine, but it wasn't actually as good as we remember it to be. I've been forward driving a lot, I've been camping a lot, I, I love the, those kind of things. I, I go out and I've got great memories of that. I, I remember one time uh, we were camping, we, we ran out of food and the only thing we had left were frozen cocktail franks. That's all we had left. So we were hungry. We ate frozen cocktail franks. It was disgusting. It made my stomach churn. I hated it. But I look back at it now and I go, wasn't that just fantastic? Wasn't that awesome? Or uh, four-wheel driving once, got stuck in the mud extremely bad for six hours trying to get my car out. Uh, I had to get someone out there to try to winch me out against a tree. And, and then I had to go back through the same puddle because it was a dead end. Um, look back at it now, an amazing time. Just so much fun. Uh, but if I really think about it, it was horrible. Six hours sitting in the mud, it's going dark, I can't move my car. Or um, recently I went uh, on a bow hunting trip, about a, almost a year ago now, and I didn't shoot anything, so calm down. Um, I wanted to though. But what we did is we stayed in a, a shed that was rat infested, and it was absolutely amazing. I'm kidding. It stunk so bad. It was horrendous. We walked around for hours not saying anything to each other because we didn't want to scare the deer that were there. Um, but 
I think back on it now and I'm like, that was such a good time. I talk to my friend about that. It was amazing. It was so good. It wasn't. It stunk. It's, I couldn't sleep properly. I could hear rats running around my bed. Yeah, it was gross. I couldn't, and I got a sensitive nose. So for a guy like me, it was terrible. It was tough. You know, this doesn't just, this kind of mindset, this thinking of the past, we romanticize the past, got rose-colored glasses on when it comes to the past. It's not a new thing. People for decades and millennia have been struggling with the same issue of thinking the past is just so incredible. I mean, we read it in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 to 6 of the Israelites remembering the good old days back in Egypt. Then the foreign rabble, who was just a group of people that were restless, that were traveling with them, um, said, or they were, who was traveling with them, said that, oh, hang on. I got to stop doing this. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlics we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is manna. Could you imagine? God is providing to you in a supernatural way every morning, putting out things on the floor that you can just pick up, make into a bread, and there's your food. And they're walking around. They're free. They're not captive to anything. But they're like, Egypt, how I miss you. Bring me the whips. Bring me the chains. Bring me the harsh conditions for a cucumber. All I want is a cucumber. Cucumbers suck. Even on a good day, if you're on the beach in Italy and you have a cucumber, it's horrible. And these guys are thinking, Egypt, captivity, slavery, building things, whips on my back. I don't care. I just want the cucumber. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. But they think of the past as something that they want to go back to. They're like, oh, so good. Wasn't the past amazing? I remember when I got whipped, but I had that cucumber in my hand. It was so good. So silly. But that's the human experience. We forget the bad and we look at the the past with those rose-colored glasses. And if we're not careful, we get stuck in the past and make no effort in moving forward. Don't get me wrong. I know there are great things that have happened in the past. In the past, I got married. I'm very grateful for that. In the past, I was born. I'm very grateful for that. In the past, I got saved. I am super grateful for that. All these things that happened in the past that I am grateful for and we should be grateful for and we should remember them and we should celebrate them. But God wants to do something more. We should do what we need to do to cherish the good things in our past. But we need to be aware that there is always more to come. In Isaiah 43, God reminds the Israelites of the great things that He has done for them. Who He has been for them and how He saved them from the grips of Egypt that some wanted to go back to. But listen to what God says in verse 18 to 19. He says, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wastelands. This verse speaks to me because I think of Redcliffe Church, an incredible church that have stood for decades and decades and decades and have had amazing people that have been part of this church, amazing pastors that have led this church, an incredible community. 
and I think of what God wants to do next. I get excited for what God wants to do next. I know that He's doing something here. I know that He's stirring something here. So while we wrap up 2023, we're not wrapping up church. We are continue to push forward. We continue to plan and scheme and dream and, and allow God to use us and allow God to work in us and through us. That's what God is busy doing. He is busy making new roads. He is busy making rivers where we thought it was just dry wastelands. That's what God is doing. And God is doing that in every single one of us. God is saying, what I've done in the past for you is awesome. It is something to be grateful for. But watch what I'm about to do. God doesn't want us to be stuck in the past. He has more for us. He has greater things ahead. There's that saying, if I'm not dead, God's not done. Or if I still have breath in my lungs, God can still use me. That's the mindset that God wants us to have. Yes, the past was good, but the past also sucked in so many ways. But God has something new for us. God wants us to go to something new, something fresh, something better is ahead for every single one of us. No matter how old you are, God has something for you. Yesterday was good, but what God does, what God has for us next is better. So let's look at today then. In Toy Story, there are the obvious main characters. There's Buzz and there's Woody. I'm just talking about the first one, the, the main one, the real one. And then there's those, those uh, supporting characters, those that come alongside and, and just make the, fill the movie out. I know if it was just Buzz and Woody, I think they did like spin-offs of that Disney. It wasn't that great. If it's just Buzz and Woody, it's not that fantastic. But these supporting characters come in and, and really bring substance to the movie. But these supporting characters really didn't care about their lives. They were not very fussed to what went on. They wake up in the morning. They lounge around. They wait to be played with. They're not even fussed if they don't, and then they go back to sleep that evening. Their day consists of not much. Sometimes Woody would throw in a meeting here and there about just safety and awareness of other things and, and not getting caught under the shelf and those very important things, but generally their lives are boring. They do nothing. They're just waiting around for life to happen to them. Well, believe it or not, there are people that have that same mentality, that have that same mindset. They, they walk around every day, they wake up, and they're just waiting for life to happen to them. They're waiting for that spark of joy to come, or they're waiting for their, their moment of pleasure, or whatever it may be. But they have, they're aimless. They're just wandering around. They're not really doing much. They've got no drive. They've got no ambition. They've got no goals. They are waiting for life to happen to them. If, you, if we find ourselves with no direction, no goal, we can either become lazy or we become busy. We can sit around feeling sorry for ourselves. We, we get trapped in a real cycle. I hate those. Just continuously going around and then hours passed. And that doesn't happen often to me. I, I need to say that. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not one of those. But sometimes it does and it's horrible it's shocking and you feel so guilty. You're like, what have I done with the past hour? But that's what happens. That's what happens sometimes. You just, there's no direction in the, to this day. You're just meandering about, no purpose. You, you nap a lot. 
you're sleeping a lot, you're just standing there. It's just, it's a boring day. You sleep the day away. Or we go the other way. We get super busy. We become busy bees. We never sit still. There's always, our schedules are so full. There's this party to go to, and then there's that party to go to, and then I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and this person needs this, and so I'll go do that. We get so busy. We just jam-pack our days full of things because we can't stand the thought of having a moment alone with ourselves and realize my day is actually worthless. What I'm doing has no point. There's no direction for me. And that's a horrible place to be, but some people feel that. Some people feel that. Some people fear the reality that there's nothing that really matters. And all the busyness is pointless. Today is not about filling our lives with things to do just for the sake of doing things. King David wrote in Psalm 39 verse 6, We are merely moving shadows. And all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. For what gain? What are we really doing? What really is the point of rushing around being so busy just to accumulate stuff that ultimately amount to nothing of real worth? But today is not about sitting around or doing nothing either. Proverbs 6 verse 9 to 11, King Solomon tells us what happens to lazy people. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Laziness leads to losing everything we have. It leads to losing everything that is valuable to us, real value, not only money or possessions, but friends and relationships. Laziness takes us away from investing into things that truly matter. When we are lazy, we fall into poverty of all sorts. If you read between the lines of what David and his son Solomon are saying here, what today is really about is doing something that amounts to true value. Doing something that generates eternal value, everlasting worth. Today is about making the most of the breath that God has given us. Ultimately, today is driven by tomorrow. It's motivated by what tomorrow will hold, what tomorrow could hold. We live in a certain way today to try and carve out a tomorrow we desire. That's what today truly is about. We're doing things today that benefits our tomorrow. We're doing things today that puts us in a better place for tomorrow. So let me talk on tomorrow. Actually, tomorrow never really comes. We go to sleep today and we wake up today. It's always today. Tomorrow never comes. Well, it seems like it. Tomorrow is always an arm's length away. We can't ever really get to tomorrow. One day, though, every single one of us will get to tomorrow. Most of us, through the doorway of death, will enter into tomorrow. Some of us here believe a chariot of fire is going to pick us up and we're going to go to tomorrow that way. And that's fine. Believe that. That's awesome. But most of us, we're going to die. 
and we're going to enter into tomorrow. And if you haven't caught on yet, when I say tomorrow, I mean eternity. Truth is, we all have 80 odd years on this today, in our today, for us to live. Some more than others, and God bless you for that. But we are born, we breathe, and then we breathe our last earthly breath. And we enter into tomorrow. David said in Psalm 39, verse 4 and 5, Lord, remember me, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We make the most of today. We work hard. We love passionately. We learn from our mistakes. We try again and again to become the best versions of ourselves. We, we take steps in the right direction, becoming those versions that God has created us to be. So we step into the next today, trying to be a bit better than what we were the previous today. That's what we do with our today. But without tomorrow, what does today really mean? That's one question. Another question is, what am I doing today to make sure I'm better off tomorrow? Today means so much more if we know what tomorrow really is about. What I have seen is that there are three ways of thinking about tomorrow. We can think of tomorrow giving us two options. And of course, the decision we make today determines the option we receive tomorrow. So the first two ways are very similar. They think of these two options. They think of heaven or hell. Those are our two options of tomorrow. But they are a little bit different at the end, and I'll explain to that a little bit further on. So typically, either pastors, kids, or kids that are raised in church have this type of mindset. Well, there's two options for me. It's heaven or hell. So then their decision and what they choose to enter into tomorrow, the option they take, is based on these two options. So option one, hell. A place that's hot. There's a lot of fire there. It smells. I'd hate it. Smells, and because it smells because people are constantly decaying, people are rotting away, but they never really die. So it's just horrible place, and it, you quickly realize it's not actually the place that all the cool kids go to party when they enter into eternity. But then you get heaven. Heaven is it's nice, it's quiet, there's streets of gold, there's, there's a big crystal lake, and there's a massive castle, there's flying white horses. My dog might be there. And you think, you know what? Hell seems pretty horrid. I think I'll go to heaven. And so you decide to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You make him your Lord and Savior because hell just sounds terrible. And that's sometimes what people think. Now, if you are a pastor's kids or you grew up in church as a kid and you think that way and that offends you, I'm sorry. Keep listening. And if it's still offensive to you, let's chat afterwards. I'd love to talk it through with you. And then some of us never leave that. We decide to follow Jesus. We make him Lord and Savior. And if we really mean it, we will enter into tomorrow going to heaven. Purely because we think hell is a lot worse. So we're like, yeah, right, heaven it is. And then there's the second train of thought. The second way of thinking 
is a lot like that. You've still got those two options. You've still got heaven and hell. But the second way of thinking is, oh, heaven's just going to be phenomenal. Heaven's just going to be incredible. It's going to be a place where there's no more tears. It's going to be a place where, where there's, there's no more sorrow. There's going to be a place where I get, to, I get reunited with my loved ones that, that believed in the same God as me. It's going to be a place that's, that's just filled with so much joy and so much passion and there's no more pain. It's just going to be this incredible place and, and all of that is true. Heaven is going to be an incredible place to go. And so what happens is instead of thinking, well, hell is just worse than heaven, you go, no, 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 heaven is where I want to be. What do I need to do to inherit heaven? What do I need to do to be in heaven tomorrow? And so that's the second way of thinking. Why wouldn't I do what I need to do here on earth to ensure that I get into heaven? And then there's the third way of thinking. It's a quite a big difference from the first two ways of thinking. See, the first two focus on the many things that we gain when we go to heaven. But the third way of thinking is only about gaining one thing, and that's Jesus. That's, that was Paul's way of thinking. We read it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward, onward to Jesus. That is his goal. Onward to Jesus. That's all I want. I just want Jesus. Everything I do has Jesus in mind. I'm pursuing Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. For Paul, it's not about the streets of gold. For Paul, it wasn't about the horses that's going to be there. For Paul, it wasn't about being reunited with his loved ones. For Paul, it wasn't about all the benefits that he gets in heaven. For Paul, it's about one thing, and that is Jesus. I get to be with Jesus. That's his driving factor. That's his goal. That's what he's holding on to. It's to be with Jesus. Now, this type of thinking comes from having a genuine encounter with Jesus. The other two are things we can learn. The other two are things that, that we learn from loving parents or learn from Sunday school or learn from good-hearted pastors and so on. We learn these things. But the third way of thinking only comes through an encounter with Jesus. It only comes through having an authentic moment with the Christ. That's where that type of thinking comes from. And if anyone was to talk about having an encounter with Jesus, it's Paul. He had an incredible encounter with Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, we read about him on his way to persecuting people that have encountered Jesus. He hates them. He thinks they're a threat to the way that he has been raised. He thinks they're a threat to the, way, the ways of his tradition and his religion. And he wants to take them out. And if necessary, he's happy to kill them. He just cannot stand the threat of these people that's going to destroy or um, make his religion uneasy or his way of life uneasy or his way of thinking uneasy. And Jesus stops him in his tracks. Now remember, at this point, Jesus has, been, has died, he's rose again, and he has gone to be with the Father, seated in heavenly places. But in this moment, Jesus stops Paul in his tracks. And we read it in red. It's Jesus speaking. He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's response is, who, who are you, Lord? Like a question. Are you Lord? Are you the one that I've actually been worshipping, that I've actually been, have, have so much zeal for? And Jesus says, stop 
persecuting me. Stop it, Paul. Don't do what you're doing. Don't do what you're doing because you are hurting me, the God of all, the Lord of all, the King of kings. And Paul stops what he's doing. In that moment, his encounter with Jesus dramatically changes the way he views life. His encounter with Jesus changed the way he sees the world, changed the way he lived. It completely changed his today. He went from living so fixated on the past, holding to tradition, to the point of killing people that were a threat to those traditions. He went from that to living a life with his eyes totally fixed on tomorrow, on the goal, Jesus. It's about a real encounter with God. And that's why we're, that's why we're so passionate here at Emerge Church about that. We're passionate about you encountering God for yourself. It's not about what we teach. It's not about what we preach. It's about what you get from Jesus. It's about what you get from an encounter with Him. We pray it every Sunday morning. Lord, let there be an encounter with you this morning. Let it be genuine. Let it be real. Let it be authentic. Even if we've encountered Him for a hundred times before. We pray it every single Sunday because we really believe that things change when we encounter Jesus. Things shift when we encounter Jesus. Our perspective of life is completely transformed when we encounter Jesus. And that's what it is about. That's what we do church for, so that you can encounter Jesus. It's not about what I say. I pray that what I say helps you encounter Jesus. It's not about what Shane Willard preaches, but I pray that whatever he preaches helps you encounter Jesus. It's about encountering him for yourself. Otherwise, it's just words. You have to make those words a reality in you. And that comes from an encounter with him. That's what Paul discovered. That's what I've discovered. That's what so many of us here have discovered. But we continue to stretch forward to that goal, to get more of Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about an encounter with him. Earlier in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he, explained, he expands on his resume, detailing his status in society and the confidence that he could have in what he has achieved as a Jew. But to him, it's trash when compared to who Jesus is to him and who he is to Jesus He's a changed man because of Jesus. He takes everything that he's ever accomplished and says, I throw it away. It means nothing to me. The past, how great it was, means nothing in comparison to my tomorrow, in comparison to Jesus, in comparison to what I get when I enter eternity. And that is Jesus. Could I have the band come up? When we get out of the past lane, stop living for today and focus on tomorrow, we will find ourselves living a life where Jesus is considered in all we do. And that's the type of life that Jesus wants us to live. I'm not saying that things like taking your kids to soccer has no eternal value. Those are important things because we grow friendship and develop relationship through those acts. But consider Jesus in that moment. Consider what He wants you to do. Consider what He wants you to say and speak and how He wants you to act and how He wants you to interact with people. Going to the shops just to buy some food to put in our stomachs because otherwise we don't, we die. Yes, doesn't seem all important when you think of tomorrow. 
But in today, it is important. And it is important to Jesus. But what he wants us to do is consider him in all we do. Consider him in the mundane, not just on a Sunday, but consider him on a Monday. Not just when we're worshiping him, but consider him when you're in the grocery line or or waiting to pay for your fuel. Consider him in everything we do. That's the life that Jesus wants us to live. That's what he calls us toward. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his ways. Seek first his will. Seek first Jesus, the king of God's kingdom. Seek him first. Consider him first. Put him first. Lord, I am your servant. What do you want me to do today? I've got my life planned out. I know what I'm going to do. I know that I've got to go to A, B, and C. But what is it that you want me to do, Lord? How is it that you want me to do it? It's not about, all right, everyone now, stop what you're doing. You're all going to work in church because that's what it looks like to, to pursue the kingdom of God. No, that's a lie. Pursuing the kingdom of God is an intimate, personal moment that you decide every single morning, Jesus, what do you want your servant to do? How do you want your servant to go through today? That's seeking the kingdom of God. That's the third way of thinking. That's the way that we live our lives when tomorrow means way more than today. When eternity means way more than what we do on on this earth, in these 80 odd years that we get. That's the life that Jesus calls us to. When we remember Him, when we remind ourselves of Him, when we remember how short our life is, when we remind ourselves how quickly we're going to enter into eternity, at the blink of an eye, we will be in tomorrow. I want, us, I want to finish by reading to you what Eugene Peterson wrote about this topic. And Eugene Peterson's the man that some of you might want to throw stones at, but he uh, rephrased the Bible and we call it the message translation. Um, I really, really admire how he takes Scripture. Now, don't go and study out of the message Bible. I don't think it's worthwhile in that sense, but it's great to find a new perspective of certain things. You can read the message translation and go, I never thought of it like that. And so, Eugene Peterson writes this regarding this topic. He says, The way we conceive the future sculpts the present. It gives contour and tone to nearly every action and thought through the day. If our sense of future is weak, we live listlessly. Much emotional and mental illness and most suicides occur among men and women who feel that they have no future. The Christian faith has always been characterized by a strong and focused sense of future with with the belief that the second coming of Jesus as the most distinctive detail. From the day Jesus ascended into heaven, his followers lived in expectancy of his return. He told them that he was coming back. They believed he was coming back. They continue to believe it. For Christians, it is the most important thing to know and believe about the future. The practical effect of this belief is the charge is to charge each moment of the present with hope. For if the future is dominated by the coming age of Jesus, there is little room left on the screen for projecting our anxieties and fantasies. 
It takes the clutter out of our lives. We're far more free to respond spontaneously to the freedom of God. I've got my eyes set on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off. I'm running. I'm not turning back. It's about an encounter with him. Those disciples that believe so passionately that Jesus is coming back, they had an encounter with Jesus. Every single one of us that believe that Jesus is coming back, it's because we have an encounter with Jesus. And all those promises that are written in his word for those that believe in him, it's secondary to the fact that we get Jesus when we enter into tomorrow. Don't get me wrong. We pray for those things. We pray for healing. We believe for healing. We pray for breakthrough. We believe for breakthrough. We pray that your today is the best that it can be, but it is secondary to what we get tomorrow. And you only get what you get tomorrow by really pursuing Him now, by choosing Him, by saying, Lord, I am your servant. Do what you will in my life. And I accept your will and I accept your way. And tomorrow you receive Jesus. No matter how great everything else is, it's secondary to Jesus.